Okay, gentlemen, morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. How are we all doing? Uh, great. On the move. Good, great. <laughs> Mark, I, had, um, uh, I can't help but notice that you, uh, you're on the move. You're a mobile hmm? podcaster today. Looking very tanned, it's, by uh, the way. Oh, thank you. Lovely sunny day here in Stockholm. Um, yeah, we're, I've been up early. We've had a long day. We've had a kind of big really good camp with 175 of our kids and then um, spread over two football pitches kids 8 to 12 and then we've had some final meetings with in the club about all the development heads of development and etc right. today so yeah so I'm just finished that meeting now and just Heading stepping outside stepping outside into the pod uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and taking a detour to the pub yeah, well, it could end up that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Britain, how are you, mate? Uh, we're doing well. Just wrapped up tryouts in the uh, the old play pay to play model. Yeah, like, yeah. How was your week off? What's that? How was the week off? What week off? <laughs> yeah, well, the week off from the pod. <laughs> oh, oh, I got you. Um, yeah, it was it was filled with uh, lots of lots of discussions with parents. Um, you know what's in the best interest of their child, and I just said, you know, you want to win a trophy now because you don't know when it's going to come up again. <laughs> and they don't know how to measure success exactly. Um, Petro, I'm sorry if I didn't say it right. That's as good as it's going to get. Welcome. Um, how are you? Thank you. I'm fine. Um, I think it's good enough for this occasion. Yeah. The pronunciation. Good, good, good. Um, so you, you come from Floorball. Uh, do you want to give a little yeah. uh, introduction to the listeners? Because I'm sure many people don't even know what Floorball is. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I don't know much about it either. So we'll, we'll start with that before we get into some of the, the, the conversation today. Well, put simply, it's like uh, hockey without skates. But okay. you play with uh, you play with ball and a little bit smaller rink, but you have five plus goalie against five plus goalie, so pretty typical innovation sport. So so that's floorball, and it's quite uh, popular here in Finland and in Sweden, also Switzerland, Czech Republic. Those are the top four teams at the moment, uh, the top four nations at the moment. So it's a growing sport, and and especially in Finland and Sweden, it's quite big. Right, right. So, would you say? Um, I'm just curious because I, I, you know, I'm not a big hockey uh, fan, but would there be a lot of uh, players that transfer from floorball to hockey? I mean, I know that the Scandinavians um, are deemed as being, you know, some of the most skillful players right now. Whereas, you know, Canada and North America, it seems to be quite physical approach to the sport. Is that is there a crossover between the two sports? Well, uh, when I played myself, uh, like 20 years ago, when I was a junior. It was uh, a bit like a sport for failed hockey players. So if you if you didn't didn't do quite well in the hockey, then you could transfer the floorball and maybe you could be a star there. But now I think uh, it's starting to be a little bit separate because you have the like the season is at the same time, so it's it's not easy to combine the two two sports. So now it's more I think more like 
we might play floorball in, in the in the winter and and football in the summer. Right, soccer. right. Yeah, I, I, what, I needed a, one of those sports for soccer. You know, when you're not very good mm. at soccer, I could fall into. What would that be, Mark or Britain? <laughs> um, lacrosse. Lacrosse. Okay, there we go. There we go. Mark, no, just so you know, is, mate. Lacrosse is big, but we have a we have this joke when people are oh my son or daughter plays lacrosse, and I'm like, so they didn't make the soccer team. Oh, that's, that's harsh. That's harsh. Mark, if you, uh, if you do start talking, I have muted you purely down to the fact that your microphone keeps rattling on your coat, but you are clear when you talk, by the way. So we're, we're all good there. Um, so if you want to unmute, I think I can do it or you can do it on your screen. Um, Percher, before we get into uh, some of the, the conversation, um, you know, what, what, where are you currently working? What are you, what is your role? What do you do? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, currently, I'm working in this club called TPS, which is uh, one of the maybe the biggest clubs in floorball in Finland. We we have also hockey in TPS and football, so it's a, like a it's like a big club. But we we more or less work separately. We have some some cooperation between the sports, but uh, pretty much we are we are like uh, uh, independent parts. And uh, at the moment, yeah, as, uh, I work uh, in TPS as uh, like uh, head of coaching development. I think that's the correct title. And at the same time, now I'm working in Swedish national team as a coach. So that's that's maybe atypical for a Finnish coach to be working with the Swedes. But now now I'm there, and it's been great fun. So so yeah, and. Uh, the background why I'm, I think I'm here is uh, that I'm also now working with Finnish Floorball Federation kind of a workshop or working group. So that that is why I have this question in my mind. Mm-hmm. So do you want to lead us into that then? Because um, yeah, I know that this is one that's come up, um, you know, maybe worded differently, but I think we've been on the, the, the subject quite a few times. Um, yeah, feel free. And as I said, uh, and as we usually have a disclaimer, we don't really have any answers anyway, but we love to chat yeah. about things and explore it further. Yeah. Well, uh, the back, short background is, like I said, I work in this uh, like working group uh, workshop with few few Finnish floorboard people. Uh, then we try to rethink the junior system from, let's say, under 21s to under 14s. And at the moment, we play in those age groups. We play a nationwide like sort of league, and uh, now we are thinking that like critically. Uh, those of you who don't know, Finland is uh, pretty much the same kind of country than Sweden. It's long, and like the people live in different parts of of the of the country. And uh, so, if you want to play a nationwide league. You're going to have long distance, distance uh, trips, away games, and it's uh, one thing we are now um, like uh, trying to rethink: is there another way to do this? And the question for me at the moment is that uh, very often when we have this discussion, why do we have even this like nationwide league? The, like the explanation is that we need those tough games. Uh, right. to, for for our juniors to develop optimally, and uh, it's always uh, we throw that around and we take it uh, like as uh, as a fact and take it for granted. 
and we pretty often I, I think I've used it myself that we say that for junior 50% of the games should be like even and maybe 25 should be a little bit tougher against a tougher opponent and 25% against uh, like a weaker opponent and then it would be optimal but you never really get that but mm. that's like the I think the main thing behind that uh, we are playing at the moment on um, these nationwide leagues. And uh, it creates some problems. First of all, it, it is expensive to travel. We might have, like, for our under 14s team, might have uh, 500 kilometers, 600 kilometers. I don't know how much, how, how much is it in miles, three to 400 miles or so. For, to play one game and then you come back, then you get that tough game. Yeah, mm. but uh, but I think the biggest beneficiary there is the bus bus uh, operator, so to speak, that gets uh, gets the money from the trip. So um, yeah, that's something we try to rethink now. So it, and the question in my mind is that is it really that we need and how much do we need those tough games to like motivate our juniors and and help them develop? I know you. If if the, all all the games were like fifteen to two or uh, or uh, ten then zero or something like that, that's not very motivating. But uh, I think there can be some some middle ground there. Mm -hmm. So that is yeah. that is what I'm thinking now. Is is, is that so that you will get the best results by playing those a lot of those tough games against the biggest clubs or or i know there there will be it's a complex question because when you get uh, when the sport gets a little bit more expensive then not everyone can anymore play and participate right. yeah so I've, I've got a couple of a couple of questions you know one um <clears throat> you know the 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 issues of the challenges created with um, you know, the National League, you know, the first part, I guess, would be, you mentioned that it, it would be ideal for, you know, 25% of the games to be really challenging and 25% of the games to be, you know, a little bit easier. What is, uh, what is kind of the thought process there? Like, why is that uh, ideal for you guys? Yeah, I think uh, if I can uh, answer, I think the idea is that, there would be like, yeah, 25% of the games that you are playing outside your comfort zone, like uh, competing against better opponents. And then, then when you are a little, uh, when you are a better team, then you have this, uh, then it's your time to shine, so to speak. Then you can be a star, star sometimes and mm -hmm. get those uh, good results sometimes. So I Great. think that's the, that's like the myth behind. Right, right. Britain. And, and I don't know, this could be a myth as well. And, and Mark, you may know a bit more, but I'm pretty sure I read that Tottenham in their academy, they, they did a third system where you'd be a third where you'd play in your age to try and get that optimal competition. A third where you'd play up an age so that you're at the bottom. Uh, usually, the, the, you know, socially, et cetera, you'd, you've got many, many more challenges. And then you, you play a third when you're actually... Uh, older and you're having to lead and set examples so I, I, i've heard of similar model again i don't know if that's accurate what i read um so again it could be again leading to a myth um but yeah i don't know if there's something there i don't know mark if you heard anything similar to to this and 
Um, again, you may be on mute. I did have to mute you again. I know you were good. Good. Yep. Anything from you? Yeah. Um, kind of, I think there's some bigger questions we really need to ask about with regard to this discussion. And my first question would be, what are you measuring? Right. And then how are you measuring it? And who are you measuring? Science. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you really, if you're starting to do ability groupings and talking about best with the best in, in when children or young players are still in this learning, learning in development, we can call it, learning in, uh, to play floorball, to play football, basketball, in development, in psycho, psychological, sociological, physiological, cultural development. So... How, what are you measuring and how are you measuring it and who are, who are you measuring and actually even why are you doing this so that, was, that would be my first question I think what's that, the measure what is it, what do you use yeah, I, I think there's <clears throat> everybody wants to improve the level of their sport and mm. we, we feel like we, we, we improve the level of our sport through uh, improving the level of our teams and, mm. you know, putting more skillful players uh, all on one team, assuming that, you know, that we're developing those players and developing their sport. Um, I, I, if we were talking about improving a player's ability to interact with the environment skillfully, I think mm. that that variability in that environment uh, does provide a lot. Uh, as far as the, the challenge point, I think the challenge point leading to growth, uh, maybe some of the, the perception of belief being improved as a result of, of being successful, and, you know, and playing, uh, you know, in an environment where, that affords you a little more opportunity or affords you more time. Mm -hmm. um, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Is, uh, we use, we use, this as kind of a tool and a framework for individual players. Um, mm -hmm. Many of the kids in our environment, they want to make their school teams and the style of play in school is it's uh, it's very direct. Um, it's very physical and it's, you know, just a hundred miles an hour all the time. And kids, kids have a hard time learning how to interact with that environment if they've never had the opportunity to play in that environment. So we, we do try to move kids up in age groups to help them get, you know, have the opportunity to become attuned to that environment and to interact with it when everybody's bigger, faster, and stronger as a part of their development. But it's, it's more to move them towards their goals of making their high school team, which is, you know, heavily influenced by culture. But I would, I would argue also that this is, this is the individual's goal. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry, yeah, because, you know, I was doing some good research here done in Sweden about national team and district team selections of players at 15. And basically, the result of the research was by, and this is like Swedish uh, Football Association coaches, and the, the result from the research was that whatever felt right in the stomach <laughs> which was what they were picking on because it right. felt right. So again, it, we're still back to, you know, do you, you know, yeah, it might be good to have a kid who wants to play in their school team, but 
why are you making that kid conform to a culture, a form of life, an expectation? Why, why can't a kid go in there and just dominate a midfield by not having to be the fastest, the strongest and everything? Why, do you have to, why can't he be centre-back but not be two metres tall? You know, why, why do we have these such fixed ways, ways of... Um, I mean, it's a very narrow lens to look through it. If, if, and I know, I guess, it is a, maybe... Uh, I've seen, actually, a school foot, uh, game over there in Britain when I was over with you. Mm-hmm. And it is very direct. And it is very much, the, you know, the biggest, fastest, strongest. But also, it's not very good football in many ways either. It's more no, like athletics. No. Yeah, exactly. So why, 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 why are we even conforming to this? Why, why are we just... You know, maybe, maybe as coaches, we should be like trying to make her think the children. Well, maybe we can do this another way. Mm. Absolutely. So it's it's less of uh, having them conform to the bigger, faster, stronger, direct mm-hmm. model, and it's more providing them an environment to which mm. the players have some of those characteristics to help them become attuned, so they become a contributor. Okay. Among yeah. among that those environmental constraints. Mm. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, good. I, I know that um, Yogi we had on the the show um, way back. He I think around maybe a couple of days ago he he posted something from Professor and I don't want to again is it Dr Arne Gull? How do you say Gulich? Gulich. Dr Arne yeah. Gulich. Yeah, and again it's around the same subject um, that there is no correlation. And initially, it's around 10-year-olds, but the same is true from, uh, you know, 11 to 14, even 15 to 18. There's zero correlation with them basically being long-term senior players and having success at that level. Um, So, again, I think it's still something that's relatively uh, new that we're all trying to explore further. I think, as you Mm. say, we don't don't have the answers. But I want to kind of – and, Petra, feel free to jump in at any point if you have any Mm -hmm. questions. But um, I kind of want to, like – understand a bit more about your specific situation because it seems that it needs to obviously be investigated further mm. why is there not enough teams and therefore not enough competition in order to have to travel that distance and you know uh, that's the first question the second question is i can relate to this we're talking about this a lot right now travel fatigue we're calling it the kids are spending more time in a vehicle than they're actually playing on the, the, the actual game itself um, so, you know, there's, um, you know, expectations that they play multiple games in a day just to make it worthwhile. Um, you know, and again, are you getting the, is that in the best interest of the, of the players, the families, et cetera? So we're, we're something, particularly with COVID coming back, um, is this something that we want to do to our children? Um, but I guess that's the question. Why the need um, at this age to go across the nation? Well, that's a good question. I think, uh, uh, first of all, it's... Uh, it depends a little bit in which part of Finland you are living and which part of Finland you have the club. Let's say if you are a northern, if you live in northern Finland, uh, there you won't have so many teams, uh, so many. Even if you are playing like uh, the closest rival, it can be 200 kilometers or something like that. Right. Uh, but if you are living near Helsinki, the capital, or southern Finland uh, overall, then, then yeah, there are enough teams. One can always say that there should be, there still isn't like uh, 
they are not good enough for our mm. team. But that's again, it's because it's a complex question because we create this kind of system that uh, when you are under 14 junior team, and when you start to play like a nationwide league for Finnish championship, then you will uh, more or less unintentionally also uh, create a situation where the smaller clubs in even those uh, places where are, where more clubs clubs uh, where, where there's more clubs then the players from the smaller clubs will move to the big club mm. and you will lose the competition you would have there because they are moving mm. there because we are playing nationwide league so it's kind of creating its own problems at the same time so so I think it sounds like a level know. of inc- it sounds like because I know I can relate to this completely. We have the same issue here in Nova Scotia. We have um, a, a community that's similar, about four hundred and fifty kilometers away, um, mm-hmm. and their nearest competition would be around two hundred kilometers away. But it's around this notion of inclusion of that community um, mm-hmm. in order to for them to to those individuals in that community to fulfill whatever development that they're going through. They just don't have access in order to mm-hmm. uh, you know just play. It's not, it's not even just, there's not enough people in that community. So I I totally understand that. Um, Yeah. Is there any, uh, what are some of the conversations, I guess, locally around trying to overcome that? And I mean, uh, Britain, you may have the same problem in Utah. We certainly, I think North America would be, this would be quite common. Yeah. um, I would say that there have been good discussions in this group. First of all, I, I, I raise my hat to Finnish Floorball Federation that we are having this discussion. I think Sweden, which is the, it's Finland and Sweden are the top two top two countries. And the Sweden, you are playing more locally when you're juniors and uh, it's mm. keeping the sport a little bit cheaper. And you in Sweden, you have more players. At the moment, uh, Finland has been like the number one in, in uh, in men's world championships and, and I think I don't know if there's conversations in Sweden if they should do something something similar than Finland but I, I, I don't know I don't I don't have anything to say about that but I, I appreciate the conversations we are having in the Finnish Floorball Federation people are realizing the problem and uh, mm-hmm. we are trying to rethink the system but uh, yeah, there are some strong assumptions that are still like strong myths that that we but, tell each but other. It, but isn't there a risk that if you are doing this best with the best, even best players, the best players playing against the best teams, a bit early, you're just judging on performance and not learning? Mm. You know, because yeah, exactly, you know that like. Performance is temporary, you know, it's just, Hmm. it fluctuates at short term, whereas learning is relatively more, a relatively more permanent change over time. So Hmm. again, that's kind of back to my question, what are you measuring? You know, so. It's a good question. And it's it's to navigate the challenge, you know, are you Hmm. measuring learning or performance? Because performance is a very poor indicator of learning in particularly in, in young, young people. Mm. No. And also, I, I must ask this, that uh, Finland tries to, we have this long-term strategy in Finnish Football Federation mm-hmm. that we tried, uh, tried to be the, like the biggest indoor sport in Finland in 2028. I think we are number mm. two or three at the moment. 
and uh, and uh, for me, I think at the moment we are we are trying to na narrow the pyramid, so to speak, a bit too mm. early now. So so if we want if we want to be the biggest, this is not the way to do it at the moment. And, and yeah. we are the leading nation, so I think why do we do this at the moment? Is it is this the time to make it even narrower, or should we still concentrate on growing the growing the, like the basic? Like yeah, it's kind of a catch do You want to grow the sport, but you're narrowing it mm. as well. Yeah. So yeah, like the standard standard model of talent development mm. pyramid model that is imposed very young. I mean, how is your participation rates? at the moment uh, what do you mean uh, like how, I, 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 how 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 is uh have you like if you compare with 10 years ago or five years ago with young people playing floorball yeah it's clubs, still it's uh it's like uh it's still growing a little bit i think last season was the first season for a long time that it dropped a little bit so mm. at least we are now creating uh, we are not creating growth at the moment at least so to speak so yeah but you know the one of one of the one of the one a feature of complex systems is delayed feedback mm, yeah, so yeah. the feedback from That's this true. probably won't come for a few years yeah which is these are interesting you know because it's yeah i have mm. to say that that is so prevalent um you know, kind of facing these kind of governing bodies and that sort of thing. Um, you know, U.S. soccer is, uh, they want to become the preeminent sport in the United States. Um, but uh, the way that we think about things and the way that we design things, again, is to mm. try to discover. We're trying to discover, you know, who are going to be, you know, the top 18 and the top 22 for the national team. Mm -hmm. And we go about... <laughs> <laughs> trying to discover who is going to be, uh, you know, one of the lucky 500 players that makes it into the MLS and uh, who are going to be the next, uh, you know, two players to make it into one of the big leagues in Europe. And mm. I, I think that I, I, I had heard about this many years ago. Um, they called it the bias bias. And the bias bias basically states that to even understand our biases is not to overcome them. And uh, I think there's, there's kind of a human, there's kind of a human bias to, you know, see, see a skillful player um, and think about all of the possibilities that we can imagine with, what if we put all of these skillful players together, just imagine what you would have. Mm -hmm. But then again, we cause this problem where there's a lot of, there's a lot of inefficiency in the system of travel yeah. and money and uh, I, I think we're not sensitive to the fact that uh, the, the the player is not you know the supreme talent is being defined by you know top 0.001 percent in the world but they might be an early mature but uh, I mean what we're trying to do is affect challenge I think we look at you know we want them to be challenged well are we affecting the challenge point by putting them on the field with the best players have yeah, and there's, there's other really problems with that? this. There's other problems yeah. with this, Britain, as well. You're, you, you know, this motivational, long-term motivational questions because you're actually, you're actually, these players are possibly defining themselves as being the best with the best. 
Absolutely. Not the, not I, best, I, and that's the best performers, but it's not necessarily the best learners or the best. There, there's a certain right. badge they're wearing that defines them. And that, that's kind of a, a ticking time bomb for many young, young oh, people as well. It, yeah, it so is. And um, mm. so I have, I have uh, the 2010 boys for the state of Utah, the Olympic Development Program or the State Select Program. And it's, and it's where you know, kids try out and um, you know, they want additional training. These are our more ambitious kids. And we're pretty inclusive at the lower ages. But mm. when you tell parents that there's no such thing as an elite 10-year-old, it's like you've taken all of the wind out of their sails. I was going to say that. I was going to say this. I mean, when, this is such a complex, because the parents as well, it, it, they're trying to socially, um, through their kids, particularly in North America, and you probably get this, Britain, be able to rank themselves based on the, the kids' performance. So mm -hmm. like my family is like in the top five because my child is the top five performer. Again, it comes down to Mark's point. We simply do not know how to measure participation in the experience of sport. And it's that crystal clear. The parents, particularly in soccer in North America, because it's still a very, very developing sport, even though it's, it's massively played, they don't know how to measure that experience outside of the win and loss column. And we see it all the time here. The amount mm. of times where we see mass migration of players leave one club to go to another club just so that they can manufacture that, that they are the best performers in one team so that they can crush everyone around them. And what usually happens is they qualify for a national event after doing that and they get hammered because they've not had any competition. They've had no, no ability to be resilient because they've all been on the same team. And it's funny, it's, it's, it happens time and time again, and we just keep going around this vicious system cycle. Yeah. Because again, we're not willing to really stop and go, how do we measure this effectively? Yeah, and you don't, it, it changes the narrative. Um, mm. So kids don't play because they enjoy the game, because they enjoy the competition. They, there's, there's, a, there's a narrative surrounding you know, this, uh, this elite development and it's, uh, one of our podcasts, I don't remember which episode, but we're talking about we're, we're activating a career. Right. Yeah. But I, I mean, the cultural, the, the cultural influence is so strong and you say, you know, we think about all of the podcasts yeah. that we're talking about and, and the level of thinking among the people that have been here and it's heavily, heavily nuanced. Mm. and thus the the pitch the pitch of hey what if we let players enjoy the game let it let you know what if we let them develop uh or that development emerge as a result of all of these really joyful interactions they're like turned off by the idea well let me let me give you this example and i'd love to get your opinion i hope some of the parents of the club i'm at are listening to this um <laughs> i'm getting i'm trying to build a socially distanced program right now so you know in canada the restrictions are very high they can't they have to meet social distancing rules and i i've already had parents call me and basically threatened to leave the club because we aren't going to do team specific sessions rather we're just going to do age range because of the way that it's social distance and i keep trying to explain they can't even interact with each other they can't even there's no game they're literally training in a space but this this culture this this means to have no i need my kids with the best kids and i don't want to have my kids be associated with those kids that i deem as not being very good right now it is madness. It's utter madness. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, and this is socially distanced programs. I mean, you're talking about 
interacting Britain within the normal confines of how we play the sport. We can't even interact and they still want to be divided and separated into levels. So, yeah, I think our, our structures, um, our structures have emerged as a result of our thinking as a society. We've, we've built them in, yep. in some cases where, you know, where we're failing is, um, it's kind of exactly what we deserve because we built it. But uh, yep. I don't know, Go, going back to going back to the national teams and, and that sort of thing. Um, if, if we're hoping to develop the sport and we're hoping to get people excited and engaged in playing, um, I think there's, there's naturally just a lot of draw to this kind of elite, uh, this idea of, of travel and that sort of thing. And that's, uh, I think, perpetuated by you know, professional systems. From who though, adults. from who? Because I think with now, I think it's key. If you ask the kids, that's one thing they don't miss. They actually don't miss sitting in the car and in the bus for hours yeah. and hours and hours. Yeah. Um, they, they just want to get back and play. Um, mm -hmm. They just want to be with their friends, you know, like at the, at the younger ages, particularly. Um, I, I would question that they don't want to travel. I think that's a question we need to ask then. Um, I think that I see some kids not loving the car, but the idea of being on a travel team comes with some prestige mm -hmm. that it's, that it's very, yeah, attractive. It, def it defines them. It's their badge they wear. And as I said, that's, yeah. just, a tick that's just a ticking time bomb, psychological yeah. Yeah. ticking time bomb. Yep. Is I it, think, is I think I'd like, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> of course. I mean, if, 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 if you've just got a system, if you just built a system that celebrates itself, then that's really, really hard. You know, that's where we go back to this thing about if you're, if you really are looking to um, reconceptualize youth sport, you've got to start with investigating your own environment, your own culture, your own form of life. So you've got to start there first. So you've got to understand that. But I think like with Perthu's um, question, it's, I mean, Finland, I'm, I'm living in Stockholm, so it's just across the water, you know, so uh, it, it is very, a very culturally defined decision, probably, of talent development, but maybe also something that hasn't looked, maybe, they, I'm just wondering, how much, how have you investigated your own culture, your own environment, your own way of living in, in these different communities, because as you know, Pertu, like, you know, Communities that live in Stockholm are not the same as the communities that live way up in the north of yeah. Sweden and Yukmuk and places like that, you know, so it's almost like different cultures. So what have you been doing to investigate these cultures, how they're thinking, how their sport culture is, what they think, what they need, what their needs are, what facilities they have, you know, do, you know what have you been doing? The answer is uh, pretty simple, not enough. But one good thing again, uh, raise your hat for Finnish Federation. Now we are going to ask the players, the players who are playing the actual game, why they are playing and what do they think about the traveling and and have they been tired? Have they have they seen their school uh, deteriorating? And um, then we will ask the parents also that uh, how they see the situation also the coaches and like the team leaders. So we're going to have uh, at least a good try with this. So the, will, like, will you be taking uh, the socioeconomic uh, factors of individuals into this, these, these uh, questions? 
Well, there's not that kind of I think question. I think yet. they'll influence. Yeah. I think they could influence the answers. Yeah, that's true. And and at the moment, it's it is that uh, like the eastern part of Finland mm. is it's it's sort of uh, it's maybe the economic possibilities there are a bit a bit lower a bit lower. Mm. Uh, the distances are a little bit. Uh, uh, longer also uh, and uh, we we see now that they are like uh, getting out of the train at the moment those have been like some some eastern Finland clubs have been like the first ones who really have done like a good job like 15 years ago or something like that but now they are not able to compete because not so many people are living there uh, uh. They have to travel a lot. They they uh, don't get the same chances. So, so we are missing that, and we are now creating this that you you really need to live in a big big city or bigger city to get the opportunities. Migrant populations. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, it's. Uh... I guess I guess when we're when we are investigating when we're evaluating we, we have to understand that there's you know we we always have these intended benefits um, and maybe neglect some of the costs associated mm. with it and for a really balanced perspective just trying to be and and and, really and Britain, somebody's costs somebody's costs don't appear until far down the road mm. yeah yeah which which I mean to the to the to the human eye and in a lot of our culture where we're, we're used to things being instant. Um, the future, mm. the future is not something we really consider. It's almost not real. Mm. Um, you know, like a, you take, um, I don't know how prevalent this is in floorball, but, uh, at, at under nine, um, there's a lot of things that we can do to, uh, you know, kind of manipulate how the players play to win, you know, to win games. And, mm. And that part of that's, you know, getting the ball as close to the opponent's goal as you can and, and shooting. And, you know, part of that's, you know, part of that's natural and it's a solution to a game, which is good. But, uh, you know, when, when, the, uh, when the coaches kind of start to invite this behavior of uh, kind of thoughtlessly moving the ball forward, you know, over time, it, it does have a delayed cost. But people are like, well, my, coach is, my coach is doing great. Look, we're winning. You know, we're winning nine to one. What what is the problem? Mm. So yeah, we get that too. We get that too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it's a really I think it's a really difficult thing to overcome. Mark Mark is Mark and Dennis have uh, have been you know just conversations is probably the most powerful tool that we have. Yeah, interactions. Conversations. Yes, and you know it being interactive we can we can say that it's you know it's bi-directional learning really mm. oh. but um i think i think evaluating with people maybe a cost and benefit analysis is maybe a maybe it's oversimplified but maybe it's a little mm. bit more clear way to approach a conversation when we're talking about these you know elite opportunities or in the setting of the right challenge point Sure, we can create I a think, little more challenge, but it's, you know, 400. Yeah, we can start by asking the kids as well. I mean, that's a simple one. We absolutely. Don't. Absolutely. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, we we are just just thinking that when you mentioned Dennis, is you know when when you got to look at so what is your, our duties as a coach, whether you're working in the Finnish Federation, the Swedish national team, or a local community in East Finland, it's it's learning. You're working with learners, and you're helping them to learn. You're having to learn to play a sport and develop as people within the sport, together with some friends in a community. Mm. And and really, you can just say it's a learning environment, a learning space. And anything that distracts you from that should be just ignored, I think. If this model we're putting in is distracting us from learning, but it's got flashing lights, it sounds great, and gives us a very quick return, then it's not worth working with because it's distracting us from what we're doing. So if right. something is distracting us from learning, don't, don't do it. And the other thing as well is I had a friend who, who, who works in football and lives in a kind of a small rural community and he's asking me, it's similar, well, how do we get to, you know, we need to play a better opposition. And I said, you know, because of your geography, ge- geographic constraints, if the best games and the best opponents you can meet are in your own training session, that's great. You know, make your training session. Make sure that your players meet their best opponents in, their, in your training sessions. That's a good learning environment. Yep. Totally. So what, distracts your, is, what is distracting our focus and the learning in it? And often for me, it's a lot of these gimmicks, these toys they put out in the market, these gurus selling stuff. Um, we have to do it. Remember, I love like we have to do it like the Dutch, or we have to do it like the Croatian. We have to do it this way, that way. But that's just all distracting us from what we're working with. And Jason and and Jorg and uh, Jan and J- in Jason and Canadian FA, Jorg and Jan and Dutch FA were very clear about this as well. You know, don't copy and paste these things. But that's because that's a distraction as well. Right. And we, you know, in Canada, you know, all these fo- fantastic football schools set up by top clubs recent, you know, in the last years to, that were you know, charging a lot of money, sucking in players from communities and killing off local clubs. Where are they now? They left the club. They left the country the minute COVID turned up. Exactly. Because it wasn't profitable anymore. That, they were just noise. That's all they were. They were noise distracting us from our duty and our work and, and what we should be really doing. And I think the the challenge, I think particularly North America is very franchise, you know, based system, isn't it? I think there's just a lot of noise Um, and it's, uh, it's, it has influenced people's thinking to the point that now they believe everything is real and it becomes this huge myth as per three you're going through. It's, yeah, it's definitely there. Um, Really good conversations. Mark, um, obviously we had a week off. Um, no wonder you've got a tan, by the way. You're sitting in the sunshine like that. I am, yeah. <laughs> you, need, you, you need some shade, buddy. Um, a lot of people... I don't um, think the future's that bright. <laughs> um, a lot of people contacting you and just having some uh, questions, particularly around the constraint-based framework. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about constraints-led approach, a lot of discussions on social media. And for some reason, people think it's a model and it's not. And I think maybe in the future, we should do a podcast just kind of clarifying a few things 
uh, what what it is, etc. Because it's been so many misinterpretations of it, and because if you utilize it as a framework for understanding um, human uh, the emergence of human coordination and development under constraints, it's a really powerful framework to a lens to look through learning in development. But the danger, so, but the danger is it's becoming distracting because people don't understand it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's becoming people are saying it's a model and looking at it as a model. It's not right. a model. And you know, and the uh, you know the only model for the human system is the human system itself, anyway. So, <laughs> so it's like, so I think we could do something in that, and yeah, uh, maybe in a few weeks I'll uh, maybe prepare for something and might get might even get Rick Shuttleworth on or even Keith Davids on to just and we can just deeper discuss because I've seen some stuff presented recently and it's you know and the thing is also it's it's kind of funny I don't mind people supporting CLA as long as they know what it is and, and then it should be it should be a it should be a framework that's criticized but it's actually presented as a model and criticized as a model but then it's been criticized by people that don't understand it right. so yeah i'm and i'm all for discussion i've had some really healthy discussions with some colleagues you know that have good worthwhile critiques but they understand that it's not a model so but we can get into that some other time you know i was just going to ask you quickly what uh what is the distinguishable difference between a framework and a model well we use we in in our work dennis and i we we look at the idea of a framework as something being flexible, a more flexible framework. You know, you have player development models, which is the standard model of talent development. But at AIK, we're trying to develop a player development framework that's flexible and sensitive to, 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 to individuals in social cultural contexts. So that's it. That's how we're working this distinguishing model. And, you know, as I said, I still think the, the the only model of the human system is, is the human system itself. Mm. So that, that's, that's how we work with it. So yeah. the model, but maybe the model think, in a sense, would be like more of a prescription, uh, prescribed approach. Yeah, but you know, there's good models as well. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just presenting constraints that approaches a model is, is just... And, and then supporting or criticizing it maybe just means you don't understand what you're supporting or criticizing. Right. You know, and that's the way I look at it. And it's, it's, it's a pity because it's such a powerful lens. It's just another theoretical lens to look through, through, through what we work with. And it's, you know, I find it very powerful and useful. Some people might, but that's, that's fine. But um, I don't know. Perte, what do you think? Any input you're, the, you're the researcher. But yeah, I've been using this. I, I thought that maybe the way I've used it is like a it's one tool for me to use mm -hmm. during uh, with my team. I can use it. Uh, I always say to the coaches that I like try to explain this that they they sort of try to think it through themselves that if mm -hmm. if I do this and I will get this result. But I, I try to explain that that's not that's like the wrong way to do that. You create some. You create some, let's say, you create some constraints and see what happens, mm, uh, how yeah, players yeah. react, and, and then, uh, then you get an idea. But you you can't like uh, draw a map from it. 
No. Yeah. yeah. I think I've it's... Been, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, but I, I think I, it's something you could look through the lens of your floorball uh, association's work at the moment. And I must say it's really impressive to hear that you're actually investigating mm -hmm. uh, yourselves by asking questions. That's very, very impressive. Mm. You know? Yeah, that is good stuff. Mm. Sorry, Britain. Oh no, I was just gonna say, you know, um the way the the way that I've been, you know, kind of looking at the this constraints led approach with uh you know, with our teams and that sort of thing is that we're we're hoping to make impressions on, you know, personal constraints, you know, for mm. players, uh using task mm. and, and environmental constraints. And uh, you know, kind of identifying what are what are the environmental constraints that exist in the game. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think some people are thinking, oh, uh, you know, I use constraints like one touch, you know, to, you know, to get a certain behavior. And I, okay, that, that does affect some change, but uh, are they constraints that exist within the game? And does that help, mm -hmm. you know, players affect, you know, some of their own personal constraints? But, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I, I would like a, a deeper understanding. Um, and I think yeah, we'll, I think I think we will organize one one around that. That'd be really yeah. nice. I think. Yeah. I think my my presentation will not be uh, me as an expert <laughs> in constraints led approach, but uh, my my path uh, in exploring it as yeah. a as a practitioner as a coach. Mm. Mm. Very good, James. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything else that you would like to chat about before we wrap this up? And Mark, I can hear you watching football over there. You may want to jump on the field and lace your boots up. Can you see it? I can. There you are. And what a sight that is. <laughs> I missed that. No, I think really good stuff. Uh, and, and Petru, your, uh, your, your ideas and your questions bring up. Um, one idea for me is this, uh, this concept of via negativa, right? What Mark mentioned about, you know, anything that distracts us from our goals, get rid of it, mm. right? Any, all of these inefficiencies and everything, uh, get rid of it, run a, a mm. little bit. Dampen. I think we could all stand to run a little bit leaner mm. program. We'll probably be left with just a ball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you amplify and what do you want to dampen? Yeah, yeah. That's really kind of what you look at and I guess that's what the journey part is on at the moment with the, with the, the finished floorball you're kind mm. of examining what do we need to amplify and what do we need to dampen and maybe maybe the message you get from the kids is that this traveling is tiring so maybe you have to dampen that yeah. mm. and, you, and you have to think of new ways to get you know maybe you have to look at your training environment and training designs and how do we really get competitive games going in training I don't know you know this this could go many many different ways you're you know you're you're far more experts than any of us because you're in the environment working with it so mm. i'm really yeah. looking forward to hear hear how this all pans out and what feedback yeah. you're getting you know really yeah. i hope you come back and let us know i'd love to mm. brilliant all right well we will see uh i'll see you two gentlemen uh next week Petra, thank you for coming and uh, i think it was thank a good you. chat that a lot of people will be able to relate to so Fellas, we'll see you on the other side. Great stuff. Thanks, Thank you.